0: Welcome inside an all-new episode of the Talkin' Audio Podcast. We are kicking off a short work week with a short podcast. a short little beer here, too, actually. We'll get into that in just a second. My name is Matt Robinson. Thank you so much for checking out this edition of the show. Just me here today. You will perhaps not be surprised that it's slightly difficult to nail down a, uh, a co-host on a gorgeous holiday Monday. People got better shit to do. Texted a couple of our usuals and uh, people are golfing, people are at the lake, uh, a lot of things going on. Of course, Rob, uh, not particularly down with the idea of doing the uh, the remote shows. He's more of an in-studio guy. That's where he brings his gold. So I'm at the lake and I wasn't in a real rush to uh, to get the hell out of here. As I said, uh, gorgeous day, at least where I am here in the, uh, in the Kawarthas and, you know, The option was there to head back to the city, but I wasn't all that excited about it. So I decided, yeah, we're just going to post up here for at least another day or two. And, uh, and so I'm here, he's there. And then, yeah, I, I got the feeling pretty quick texting around to a couple other, uh, of our regulars, see who maybe was available to tag in. Not many not many willing to give up part of their, uh, their holiday Monday. And that's totally understandable. Uh, so just me here today, at least for this one, uh, kind of funny and I'll get into it a little more here in a minute, but it's been a bit of a rocky day. Um, was a couple late nights at the cottage, uh, stirred on largely by, uh, one of my sisters who, uh, quite frankly, I don't get to spend a whole lot of time with, uh, with just the immediate family anymore. And that's That's cool. The extended family continues to grow, right? Like people are having kids. People are got uh, marriages, people, you know, whatever else is going on. And so there was two different nights here over the course of the long weekend where I found myself uh, up late with just my sisters and my parents and kind of enjoyed that. And maybe enjoyed it just a little too much. A couple of late nights. And actually I'm on a long string of late nights at this point for no really good reason. Wednesday night ended up being a late night for me, and I told myself, Thursday, you know, you'll shut it down early. You can recover. No big deal, right? This happens. Thursday, I don't watch a second of regulation time of Florida Carolina. Part of that is lack of interest. Part of that is sour grapes, right? Having had my Leafs go out here not too long ago at the hands of the Florida Panthers, so I'm just sort of like, well, fuck it. I'm not that interested. But then you hear it's going to overtime, and I'm kind of winding down my night. And so you're sort of like, well, I'll just throw on an overtime, and we'll see what happens. Well, doesn't it go to a second and a third? And now you're hooked. You're invested, right? And then ends up going to a fourth overtime all the way to the very end of it. And for whatever reason, here I am watching four overtimes of a Florida Panthers-Carolina Hurricanes game. And I, it it forces you. To ask very important questions of your life about your life decisions. What am I doing with my life right now, watching? And as I said, I didn't watch a second of regulation, and yet I still ended up watching more than a full game's worth with, uh, with as I said, four overtime. So that's Thursday. Friday, as I said, my sister rolls in here. Uh, everybody arrives at the lake. That ends up being a fairly late night. And then uh, Saturday, not quite as bad, but Sunday night, for whatever reason, everybody gets into it again. And so on Monday morning here, holiday Monday, as I'm sitting here recording this later in Monday evening, kind of trying to recover just a little bit. Uh, yeah, playing hurt for you guys, right? It's, uh, it's been a quiet day around here as everyone sort of petered out, but a beautiful day. So decided to stay here. Like I said, that's why Rob and I are not in studio. And, uh, and that's kind of how that played out. One of the interesting things is I mentioned a couple of different people that I texted to see if anyone was available to co-host this show. Someone texted me and, uh, and it was our buddy Lever Sage from TSN 1200. And he sends me a text message and all it says is, so when are we recording? And I'm like, oh God, what have I missed? Cause that's about 1130 in the morning. I believe I got that text from him and I'd been up for a bit, but not long, not long. Woke up around eight o'clock, went and hit the head and then yeah, back to bed as it had been, like I said, I think about three three o'clock, three 30 the night before. And I was just trying to get a little more sleep. And when I woke up, I did a quick kind of tertiary scroll of my messages and and Twitter. And there wasn't anything there standing out. And I went down, I'm hanging out with my niece and nephew a little bit. And I get this message from Lever Sage. And again, it says, all it says is, so when are we recording? I'm like, Oh, I've missed something, right? There's something he either wants to rub in my face or some big news or something going on here. I jumped back on Twitter, I jumped back on a couple different apps looking for any kind of news, and there's nothing there. So I texted him and just, did I miss something? Like, what's going on? Or did did I I schedule something? We've all been that guy before. Had a drink or two too many, and you schedule something and then forget about it in the morning. Nothing like that. He's just like, no, just shameless, wanting to jump back on the show. So I said, well, actually, today, I'm looking for a co-host right? People aren't available. It's a holiday money. He's like, yeah, no, I'm not available today. (laughs) You're like, well, what are you texting me for, man? So, uh, anyway, no Lee Versage here, but he will be here, I believe on Thursday. Uh, we have penciled in a Wednesday night recording and, uh, we'll talk to him about all things sports, right? We'll talk a little Blue Jays. We'll talk a little Stanley Cup playoffs. We'll talk about everything going on, uh, with Lee. So that'll be a little later in the week. Should be a lot of fun. I mentioned off the top a short beer, and I don't really understand what the point is here. I guess I do. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm being brutal on them for no reason. But this is from the All or Nothing Brewing Company. And uh, you longtime listeners will recall that uh, when Chris Hoffley was here a couple of weeks ago, we had a bet on the, uh, the Oshawa Generals Ottawa 67s series, which did not go my way. And so I owed him some Oshawa beer and loaded up on, uh, on stuff from All or Nothing. And, uh, when I was doing that, it only made sense to stock up on stuff for me too, right? If you're going to be there, you might as well get some shit for yourself. So this is one, uh, I've grabbed for myself. I don't know why I've chosen a hungover holiday Monday as the perfect time for it, but it is called Dig Deep. So, uh, this is the Dig Deep Imperial Stout. It says it's a limited release, so I'm not sure if it's still available or not at the brewery. But yeah, a, uh, an imperial stout for your holiday Monday, coming in at ten percent. It says it's got a velvety tan head. Uh, that's fascinating. But uh, a dark chocolate flavor to it. I, you guys understand how a uh, how an imperial stout works, right? So there'll be nothing confusing. But it's a very small little can, and like childishly small. And I know a lot of breweries do this when they're hitting you with an imperial stout or something with a, a higher uh, ABV, they'll kind of clamp down on the actual volume, but yeah, this is just tiny. It's, it's just a wee little fella. And so they're not even really, like I said, it's called dig deep. They're not giving you enough beer here to ha- to dig all that deep, but I am looking forward to checking it out. Like I said, this is the dig deep Imperial stout from all or nothing. We'll give that a go here as we talk about a couple different things. All right. So right off the hop. We've talked about this a few times and so maybe it's redundant, but it's pretty boozy, uh, as you first kind of get into it here and not in like a bad way. You know, when you're going into a 10% Imperial stout, there's going to be a little bit of that to it. Um, and it's a nice stout. I don't mind it. I'm not sure I'm really agreeing with the way they've described it. Like I'm not getting almost any dark chocolate off of it at all, at least on first pull. And so we'll see as we kind of move through it, if that increases a little bit, sometimes that happens. Uh, But pretty nice. Like just as a stout, I often reference that, uh, that one I had a year or so ago and it was the Nanaimo Bar Imperial Stout. And I forget who made it, but I really enjoyed it as a stout, but I was put off by the Nanaimo bar title because I love Nanaimo bars, right? Like that was a gift someone had thought of for me because they know I'm big into the Nanaimo bar thing. And I didn't get that flavor from it at all. There was nothing in it that reminded me of, of the the Nanaimo bar. And so as a stout on its own, if you had just said here, try our new stout, I'd have been like, yeah, this is really good. But when you're selling it to me as a Nanaimo bar stout, now there's some disappointment that goes with it, right? Like you're kind of like, I was really hoping for something here that I didn't get. So that happens sometimes. And uh, like I said, this is sort of giving me a bit of that. There's nothing wrong with it. Perfectly nice stout, uh, but not really getting any of the uh, the dark chocolate off of it at the end there. As I said, we're going to keep this one short because it is just me here and, uh, and Lever Sage will be in a little bit later. Plus, like I said, playing hurt and uh, only got a little bit of beer here in this tiny little can. So uh, we'll keep this one reasonably short. We're going to talk some Leafs. We're going to talk some Blue Jays. And uh, we'll get to that in just a second. We have talked a lot of Leafs around here through those two rounds of the playoffs and then them making news, of course, last week around Kyle Dubis's firing a couple more thoughts as things continue to emerge. But we'll get to that a little later because I know not all of you are Toronto Maple Leaf fans, right? So I've been a little self-indulgent with how much I've been talking about them. And uh, so I'm going to let you off the hook. Those of you who want the Leafs talk, it will be here later in the podcast. And those of you who don't can get everything else and then check out if you want to check out. I'd like you to stay, but I get it if you want to check out. But let's start with just a little bit of news out of the NFL. And uh, it's been reported here on Holiday Monday that they have decided to put Super Bowl 60 back in Santa Clara, California. uh, Back in the Bay Area where it was just a couple of years ago. And the reason I bring it up is the next three are obviously now in line. Super Bowl 58. Uh, next February, will be in Las Vegas. Obviously, uh, Vegas has a team now, and so why wouldn't you want to try and capitalize on that, have a Super Bowl there? Uh, 59 is going to be in New Orleans, and then 60, as I said, in, uh, in Santa Clara, California. And it's just sort of fascinating when you look at this idea that the Super Bowl has developed and actually executed beautifully. Right? You are going to play this thing in February, you need it to happen. You don't want it to be a gong show as often as it could be. See, so it kind of end up staying out of New England. Remember, they did one not too long ago in New York, but New York is New York. Do you want to be playing in Pittsburgh or uh, Minnesota or Philadelphia in February? And it's a reasonable question. Those would be experiences, right? Your hardcore fans playing a Super Bowl in the snow in Philadelphia in February would be awesome. But the Super Bowl isn't really for your hardcore fans, is it? It's more for sort of your corporate sponsors, right? It's for the ultra-rich. It's really not full of that many hardcore Average Joe fans. And so you're looking to create a destination. And so you do things like Miami. And you do things like Los Angeles. And coming up. You're now going to do things like Las Vegas and New Orleans are the next two. And frankly, both of those sound awesome. They uh, are party cities. You would love to get in there. Like if you somehow could get your hands on some Super Bowl tickets, you would turn that into the vacation week of a lifetime, right? You would destroy yourself in a week in New Orleans or in Las Vegas Um, they have the hotel capacity to do it. They obviously have the stadium size to do it. And they have the idea of this being a destination. And that's, that's the draw, right? Nice weather or indoor stadiums. That's what they do now. And hopefully you do it in a city that people badly want to go to. And you've accomplished that for the next two. But this third one back in Santa Clara, look, California's nice. The Bay Area's nice. But does it really fit with the last ones I just mentioned? And so I get it. You're sort of on this limited rotation of places that you want to go and have the Super Bowl. And they have to be a southern climate or an indoor stadium. So it limits you right off the hop. But I'm not sure if I'd be going back to Santa Clara quite this early soon right like i don't think people would really mind if it was a much shorter rotation like legitimately you just kept doing not in this order necessarily but miami tampa new orleans las vegas maybe phoenix but again phoenix like phoenix is a big city and it's in the right climate but are you pumped to go to phoenix phoenix Like, is that a destination that you can't wait to get? I understand the Super Bowl is the destination, the reason you're going. But does it stand out like Miami and Vegas and New Orleans do? And even LA? I don't know. Like, maybe you just kind of shorten up the rotation or drastically broaden it, right? Fuck it. Every now and then, we're going to play in Minnesota for the Super Bowl. And maybe there'll be a blizzard and no one will be able to get to the game. Seems unlikely, but... Could happen, right? We're going back to New York. We're going back to New England. I don't know. It seems to me like they're kind of trying to do this 50-50. Like we still want to include as many as we can, but we want it to be a destination thing. And to me, some of these just don't really fit in uh, in that situation, right? In that scenario. So just a little note that these are the sorts of stupid things that stay on my mind. Vegas and New Orleans awesome. Santa Clara? Eh, whatever. It'll be fine, but maybe not on that same level, right? Honestly, as I have another poll on this, uh, this stout, I don't know that there's any other word I would use to describe it other than boozy. And often when they're boozy like this, it's like boozy, but I get what you're going for. I still, I'm getting that other taste coming through. I'm getting whatever else is happening there. This, this is just boozy. So, Uh, Again, it's fine, but it's not great. So uh, about two weeks ago, I put out a solo podcast when I gave my thoughts on Ryan Reynolds and the Remington group bowing out on the Ottawa Senators sale. And I said at the time that maybe it wasn't necessarily that they were out. It was that they were trying to send a message. And you can go back and you can check that out at tallcanaudio.com or wherever you're hearing me right now on your uh, your podcast app. If you just scroll down a couple episodes, you'll see it there. And I suggested that, yeah, whether it was the Remington group trying to get someone's attention or maybe that it was Ryan Reynolds trying to get someone's attention saying, you know, my group is out. I'm not necessarily out. I would be interested in jumping on with another group if if anyone was interested in having me. And it was reported by Post Media in Ottawa this weekend that by all accounts, that is off the table now. And that Ryan Reynolds has moved on and he has closed the door on owning the Senators. He is out completely. And so it's interesting as we kind of enter into the final stages of this, or, or maybe we haven't entered them. Like in theory, we've been in the final stages for a while now. The final bids were due in last Monday. And we didn't expect to hear right away. These are billion dollar bids with all kinds of moving parts, all kinds of members of different groups that need to be vetted and investigated, all these sorts of things they were going to do their due diligence, but we're a week or so into it now. And by all accounts, yeah, there was four groups that came through all of them legitimate, all of them serious, but yeah, this Remington Ryan Reynolds thing is over and I speculated on that last podcast that maybe this would have been better off without the celebrity involvement for months now. People have been excited about Ryan Reynolds being associated with the city of Ottawa and rightfully so. He's a big celebrity. People uh, know the, the Wrexham documentary, everything that he's done with that. And it was put pretty black and white here today on, uh, on holiday Monday that, no, he's gone, he's done. And so, you know, I guess I got to eat a little bit of crow on that, right? I didn't come out and say 100% he's still in and will still be a part of this, but I did speculate and say, this feels to me more like message sending. And it sounds now like it wasn't. They absolutely are out completely. And so I just wonder for you Sens fans who listen to this podcast, right? We're based here in Ottawa with you. There was all kinds of talk about Ryan Reynolds. I do. I wonder how people are feeling now because of the Twitter feedback, which is often a pretty bad representation of how the greater public is feeling, but it is perhaps the most available one, right? It's the easiest place to go and find these reactions. I wonder how you feel now because yeah, it looks like people are pretty upset. And as I speculated to uh, a week or so ago, I think it's possible it would have been better off if this never happened, right? If there was never talk of Ryan Reynolds. Because this organization in March 2022, when Eugene Melnick passed away, had a terrible reputation. Whether it was his own, whether it was their reputation among local vendors, other National Hockey League executives, The fan base here in Ottawa, um, the organization did not look good. And as we've moved through this process, it's only gotten better. Now, the Sens, I don't know what you'd categorize this past season as. Some of you want to call it a success. They certainly improved. But a lot of people last summer said that the team was guaranteed to make the playoffs. And that did not happen. And in that case, in that frame, it's not a success. So that's up to you how you would want to frame it in your own mind. But off the ice, when you've talked about how many different groups have stepped in wanting to buy this thing, how many celebrities have been involved. Last week we had Donovan Bailey, and maybe I should talk more about that in just a second. Uh, he joins the uh, the Nico Sparks group. Uh, the weekend recently signs up with one of the groups. And, you know, whether or not you believe that the celebrity involvement has been a good thing, it's certainly put the senators on the map a little bit while this is playing out. But the biggest thing is the money. This thing was sort of loosely valued around 600, maybe 650 million dollars. And as this has played out, we started hearing numbers in the new year here, early 2023, of like 800 million dollars. And then in the last month or so, we hear $900 million to a billion dollars. And apparently, if you believe the reporting, one bid of over a billion. So, this has unquestionably been a success for the Ottawa Senators. The new ownership is unquestionably going to be very stable, very well off. Without doubt, this organization is in a better situation than it was a year ago at this time. And yet we find ourselves talking about disappointment over the lack of Ryan Reynolds. And so I guess that's legit. I guess after you hear about it for a while, you sort of decide, well, this is what I want. And this is what I'm into. And I can't believe Ryan Reynolds is going to be a part of my hockey team and my city. And then he's gone. So I'd be curious to hear from you at Tall Can Audio on Twitter and Instagram. How are you feeling as you hear the news that A, the Ottawa Senators are about to be purchased for somewhere between $900 million and a billion dollars, but also that you've lost Ryan Reynolds? How are you balancing that? What's your level of disappointment versus your level of excitement? How are you feeling about this, Sens fans? Let me know at Talk and Audio. Something I can tell you I have feelings on is the recent performance of the Toronto Blue Jays. It hasn't gone very well here in the last couple of weeks. And they come back from this mediocre road trip a week ago Friday. It's about 10 days ago now, 11 days ago now. And you're just sort of like, well, that wasn't great. You had been swept four straight by Boston. But you go kind of rebound in Pittsburgh. And then things don't go very well in Philadelphia. And you come home and you're sort of like, man we're off the rails here a little bit and you're trying to keep it in perspective because it's a 162 game season takes a long time to get through all this and a bad 10 days. Isn't going to kill you as long as you rebound properly. So they come home and they sweep the Atlanta Braves and you're like, well, all right, I guess we're feeling fine here now, aren't we? But even in that series, there were things to be concerned about. You wouldn't say the Jays were playing great baseball, when you sweep the Braves, one of the top teams in the National League, you sort of feel like you've got your shit back tight, we're, we're getting on the right track, and we're going to be okay. Well, then the Yankees come to town, and there was all kinds of noise in that series about guys cheating, you know with the 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 Aaron judge kind of glancing away from the pitcher. What are you looking at kind of thing um. They had a, a Yankees pitcher using the substance on his hands and, uh, the Yankees subsequently would also be called out on that again in their next series. So that wasn't just a Toronto thing, but ultimately you lose three of four, you're kind of like, that's not ideal. Now the Yankees aren't a bad team. So sometimes that happens and you were in position to take two of four and you just kind of saw it off and you'd be like, well, whatever. But you end up losing three or four, and all of a sudden, this series against Baltimore comes in this weekend, and you're like, this is important. Like, we got to have this. And they don't. And again, you wouldn't say the Jays played terribly in this series, although the offense is starting to become a little bit of a concern. I've sort of floated on here a couple times that I'm getting a little worried about Jordan Romano. Like, not, oh, my God, we're in huge trouble but less confident in him than I was, right? Like when he used to come in, look, every closer blows the occasional save. But for the most part, you felt like you were in good hands, right? He's going to come in. He's going to lock this down. We're going to be okay. And I don't feel that right now. I don't have that confidence when he comes in right now. Is it possible he's he's just struggling a little and he's going to find it and he'll be back to what we're used to out of him? Yeah, that's possible. But... Man, there's just something, and and we're almost two months into the season now, and at no point, even when it looks like he's got his stuff going, at no point do I feel like this is locked down. Like, I can just shut this off and go to bed because he's going to finish it. No, I got to hang around. I got to see this out. And that reared its head again over the course of the, the last week or so. And again, when you get swept by the Baltimore Orioles, who we all understand are better than they have been in a long time. I was guilty of saying last year that they're not quite this good yet, but that they're about to be. And I didn't expect this year for them to be quite there yet, but they are, they're here. And you now have a week where you lose three out of four to New York and then three in a row to Baltimore. Well, that's a pretty bad week. And now you're headed to the Trop, the house of horrors, to play the first place Tampa Bay Rays. So the Jays are reeling a little bit here. And again, i am it's not panic time. Like you're still above 500 and you have been since like the end of that first week of the season where you lost that series in St. Louis and you had that 10 game road trip to start the year. You, you've always been above 500 since then, but they've never been able to put the pedal down and win like eight of the next 10. Right, or get really hot and, and just have this sustained thing where you know for three, four weeks this team is killing it right now and you're banking wins. No, they've always just sort of stayed a couple games above 500 and never been able to totally get this all firing at the same time. Alec Manoa has struggled. That's something that you should be concerned about. Almost everyone else in the rotation has been fine based on expectations. Like Gosman, he's had a blow up. I think he's had two blow ups this season, but you still feel like every time he goes out there, he's going to be fine. Because a a lot of the time, I think it was a stat like a week or two ago that said, I think he'd had five starts where he had thrown like at least seven shutout innings and only one, two of them. And you're kind of like, all right, that's probably not on him. Right. Uh, but there's some warning signs here in some other places. Matt Chapman this weekend, who got off to that incredible start, hits his first home run since April 18th. You need more than that out of him. Brendan Belt is a guy that I think a lot of us were cutting loose after three, four weeks into the season, and he's sort of figured it out and got it going. He sort of rebounded nicely. Dalton Varsho, though, incredibly up and down. Um... I don't, there's, there just appears to be some holes in the lineup that you didn't expect. They're still a good offensive team, but I was looking at it on Monday morning and there's about three or four pretty prominent uh, offensive categories where this year they're down to sixth or seventh. And so you can still win there. That's a top 10 rating in most of these categories, right? You'll be okay. But it's not quite the same feeling as like we're just going to automatically hit our way out of trouble. We're not this legendarily good offensive lineup anymore. And so if you make defensive mistakes and you don't get good pitching, that's a problem. If your bullpen isn't as good as you hoped it would be, if Romano is blowing saves for you, Anthony Bass is nowhere near as good this season as he was last season, these things start to add up, right? Right? And at some point, there's only so many holes in the boat that you can plug at once. And so the Jays aren't sinking. They're not in huge trouble. But man, you couldn't afford to have a 10-game homestand where you only sweep the Braves and then lose six out of the next seven to American League East opponents before you have to head to the trop. That's putting yourself in a terrible spot because I think we know that pretty often those trips to the trop also involve a lot of losses. So you'd have liked to have banked a couple of wins there before making that trip. Can we talk just for a minute about Ryan Mountcastle? He's just a guy, but he's killing us. And he has been for a while. Good friend of the show, Andrew Stoughton from the Batflip.ca, put this out on his Twitter. You can follow him. Interestingly enough at Andrew Stoughton, uh, That Ryan Mountcastle is just a guy, and he used the comparison perfectly of Kendris Morales. Remember him? Remember when the Blue Jays let Edwin Encarnacion leave and replaced him with Kendris Morales? Remember how well that went? In Kendris Morales last season in Toronto, he was a 107 WRC plus player. We're not going to get too deep on what that means, but WRC plus is weighted runs created. Plus it takes all kinds of things into consideration. The pitcher you're facing, the handedness, the ballparks you're hitting in. And 100 is average. He's just a guy. It's replacement level guy. In his final season in Toronto, Kendris Morales was a 107 WRC plus. So just sort of above replacement level. And we considered that a disaster. We hated that move. We were tired of this guy by the time he left. In the last two seasons, Ryan Mountcastle has WRC Plus ratings of 106 and 103 against everyone except Toronto. Do you want to know what his WRC Plus against Toronto is? 193! 193! He is dominating. He is hitting us like Babe Ruth. Hank Aaron numbers against the Toronto Blue Jays, and it is inexplicable. Why is he crushing us and only us so hard? (laughs) He's just a fucking guy. From 106 and 103 to 193. Only against us. It's fun being a Toronto sports fan, isn't it? You love that. The Orioles are okay, and uh, they're better than I thought they would be this year. I don't expect them to contend at the end of 162 games. I don't expect them to make the playoffs. But if they have Hank Aaron, Ryan Mountcastle, dominating the world, maybe I'm wrong, but he's not dominating the world. (laughs) He's only dominating us, and isn't that just fucking delightful? Uh, Let's talk a little about the Leafs. This is the the last thing on the agenda for the day, so class dismissed for those of you who uh, have heard enough about the Toronto Maple Leafs over the last little while, but uh, this will be the last thing we touch on here, so if you're done with that, uh, yeah, you can, uh, you know, (laughs) thanks for joining us, I guess. But otherwise, it's been an interesting long weekend as we've learned more and more about what's gone on around the Leafs, around the firing of Kyle Dubas' And I talked an awful lot about my thoughts on this on the Friday after Brendan Shanahan's uh, press conference. So I'm not going to relitigate everything, not going to rehash everything, but a couple things have come to light. And, you know, sometimes you just have some new thoughts as you kind of, I don't know, ruminate on these things, right? As you kind of marinate. And the first thing that I think is worth pointing out here, because we didn't know this at the time that I recorded on Friday is that Jason Spezza has left the organization. And on the face of it, he was special assistant to general manager Kyle Dubas. So maybe not shocking. I'll leave it up to you to decide how much you think this is worth or how much this matters. But what I would point out to you is that Jason Spezza was a lifelong Toronto Maple Leaf fan. Grew up as a hardcore fan came back to the organization and played for three seasons for league minimum when he could have made more elsewhere. I don't know how much more. It's not really the point. He wasn't still a $7 million player or anything like that. But there were opportunities for him to go elsewhere and make more money. And he was so dedicated to the team at that point that when they needed to put him on waivers to make some cap things happen, he basically announced to the league, if you claim me off waivers, I'm just going to retire. It's Toronto or bust for me at this point. Now, those are as much family decisions as they are hockey decisions. But it's noteworthy because it illustrates how committed he was to this city and this organization. And now he's voluntarily walked away from it. And like I said, maybe there's not much to it. You can decide for yourself. But this is a guy who played for well below what he could have got paid to be in this city. He clearly had become a leader. He clearly had become very popular both in the market and in the locker room. And the second he retired, he became very anxious to work for the organization in the front office. And instead of sticking it out with the organization and the team that it's clear he loved, he walked when a guy that he had only known for four years was fired and Whatever. Don't quibble with the term. I guess Kyle Dubas wasn't fired. They want, like He wasn't brought back. He wasn't welcomed back. So obviously, you know, you can call it firing if you want. But his contract had expired and they decided not to renew it. So fair enough. But the point is, after a lifetime of loving the Toronto Maple Leafs, after coming home to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs, after taking less money to do it, and then even after retiring... Wanting to immediately turn around and still work for that organization, he chose Kyle Dubas to be loyal to. So, that's fascinating to me. There was no obligation to leave with Kyle, but once Kyle was out, Spetsa said, "No, nah, fuck that, I'm out too." And you should be interested in that. I'm interested in that. What happened? What does he know that we don't know? Right, like we've only heard. Brendan Shanahan's side of things at this point, and he's obviously speaking for ownership. He's got a reputation and an organization to protect. So whatever, that's fair enough. But what does Jason Spezza know that you and I don't know that made him throw away all of that loyalty, all of that lifetime, and instead march on principle with a guy he's only known for four years? That's, That's really interesting to me, that he just decided, well, if Dubas is out, I'm out too. Like I said, there was no obligation to do that. If he'd have decided to just stay quiet and wait for the new guy to come in, maybe he has a job there, maybe he doesn't. Um, But he can still work for his hometown team. He can still live in Toronto where he clearly wants to live, all these things, right? He can carry on in theory for at least a while and he chooses not to. And that stands in stark contrast to everything that we've seen from Jason Spezza over the last several years. So to me, that, that tells me something that this stinks a little bit somewhere else, right? And yeah, he, he chose to uh, ride or die with Kyle Dubas instead of the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's really interesting to me. Uh, I've had to spend the weekend biting my tongue on my uh, my Twitter mentions, and a lot of people have agreed, but a lot of people disagree, and, that, and such is the nature of Twitter in a, in a debate like this. But, I, I, you know, you're trying to enjoy a long weekend with your family and not get bogged down on the people who are, well, calling you stupid. Uh, as I mentioned on the, the Friday show, to me, this was bungled by MLSE, and I tweeted the same thing. They had the opportunity for over a year to lock this guy up, chose not to, uh, decided after the trade deadline that they did want him back, started working on negotiations at that point. Uh, and then during the playoffs, again, wanted him back. Um, when we got to the day after the Leafs were eliminated, they come again and say, we want to do this. And now Dubas has the position and a little bit of leverage to say, yeah, let me talk to my family. We'll see you in a couple days. And then they decide four days later, nah, fuck it. We actually don't want you back. And which leads them to a point where they have wasted that entire week now they're wasted, and like it's not time wasted. You have to hire a new executive. You have to hire a new general manager. In, in a normal sense, that's not time wasted, but you are less than a month away from the draft now, and you are only like five or six weeks away from having to have decisions made on Austin Matthews and William Nylander and Mitch Marner all of those guys have some form or another of total no-move clauses or limited no-trade clauses kicking in on July 1st, and then they'll have the leverage. So all this time that is now being spent looking for a new GM is, is in theory, on that front, time wasted. That's all bungled by MLSE, especially if you decided you were bringing him back anyway. So this is what I've been having to bite my tongue on on Twitter instead of engaging with. My tweet didn't say Kyle Dubas needed to be rehired. I personally, yes, I would have kept Kyle Dubas around. I would have extended that contract. And so would they. Brendan Shanahan said that multiple times in his own press conference. We decided after the trade deadline, want to bring him back. Tried to get that done all the way up until last Monday. So the Leafs thought the same thing. And they now don't have him. And yet I have the hoopleheads in my Twitter mentions coming at me telling me he deserved to be fired, didn't win enough playoff rounds, gave too much of the cap to four guys. And those are reasonable opinions. But don't tell me my take that this was bungled by MLSE is wrong because MLSE doesn't have the guy that they said themselves they were happy with and wanted back. The point isn't whether or not Kyle should or shouldn't have been let go. To make the argument that he should be let go is a legitimate one. Like I said, I disagree with it. I would have kept him around. But you did only win one playoff round. You did dedicate a lot of cap space to four players. You did make some questionable moves. In my opinion, way more good ones than bad ones. But there is a reason, like it's reasonable to say, no, I think it was time to move on. This is a winning business. This is a results-oriented business, and the results haven't been there. That's a reasonable argument. So why are you telling me that I have a terrible take that MLSE ever let it get here? Brendan Shanahan himself is saying to you, we tried to rehire him for three months. Said himself in his press conference, thought he did great work at the trade deadline. I have seen enough to start the process of rehiring him. The Leafs wanted him back. He said he wanted to come back and he's not back. If you can't see that that's a little fucked up, That's on you. This isn't about whether Dubis should or shouldn't have been back. It's about them saying we want him back. Him saying I want to be back and him not being back. Figure it out. That's how a $6 billion organization runs. And this isn't new. They did this to Maasai like two years ago with the Raptors. These are major decision makers that you're taking right to the very edge. You're playing chicken with. You managed to work it out at the last possible second with Masai Ujiri, and you didn't with Kyle Dubas. It's reasonable to say that Kyle Dubas may have overplayed his hand last week. Maybe he did. But we never should have gotten there. This is not the way an organization like MLSE should be run. When you're this big and this powerful with this many resources, there's no salary cap on this shit. You can spend whatever you want. If you can't figure out why it's messed up that we've gotten here, that's on you, not on me. I got one guy chirping at me saying, well, he never did anything about playing better defensive hockey. never did anything, never tried to do anything about goaltending. Are we watching the same fucking team? because he has steadily degraded the offense in favor of trying to get better defensively and solve the goaltending issue. At my great consternation, Matt Murray didn't work. But we have Matt Murray because he tried to solve that problem. Same reason you have Luke Shen and Jake McCabe and Noel Achari and Ryan O'Reilly. What are you talking about? This... uh, This whole thing has melted people's fucking brains. You don't have to like Kyle Dubas, but you should be able to look at the organization and go, did this really just happen this week? Did this all just happen in four days? You decided on Monday, I'm trying to re-sign him. I watched his press conference and now I don't want to re-sign him. That's the way we're running things here? Brutal. Brutal feels good to get that off my chest a little bit. Like I said, I keep seeing all these mentions come in on uh, on Twitter over the course of the weekend. You're know, like, I I just can't be bothered to engage right now. But on the microphone, late on a Monday, feeling a little hungover, a little grumpy. Yeah, you're getting it. Just some of the worst fucking takes. And the worst ones are the ones who come in and go, "This is a bad take." Care to elaborate? Do you have a point of any kind? Or are you just sitting there shitting in your man-sized diaper, flinging feces at anything you can find online? Smartnop. Fuck. MLSE is a $6 billion organization. It hasn't had a CEO in 18 months, despite the fact that they claim they've been looking for one. And yet somehow they're dicking around Kyle Dubas on the last possible week After doing literally the exact same thing to Masai Ujiri like two years ago. And somehow we have people out here cheering on ownership saying they didn't get involved. This is all on Kyle Dubas. I don't know how you can stare at the evidence here and see anything other than the fact that. Yeah, this got fucked with at the last second. And now you don't have the guy that you wanted. Well, fuck you. That's how it works sometimes. This reeks of the MLSE of old the way they used to do business when it was chaos all the fucking time. Who operates this way? And like even the more hockey stuff, it just screams at you. You brought this guy in a few years ago to be your new up and coming hotshot GM. And you let him learn on the job at the wheel of the Toronto Maple Leafs. And quite frankly, as I've said, I was on board with that. But now that he's made his mistakes at the wheel of your machine, gained some experience, is clearly getting better at this. Now's the time that you part ways with him. I guess. Good job. Way to go. You, you, you nailed that. When it came time to actually have to pay him, like they didn't have to pay him shit compared to what a lot of GMs are making in the league because he was the young guy. So essentially you got him on an ELC, an entry-level contract. It's like players get. Now that it comes time to pay him, your big offer was 20% less than what Ken Holland is making in Edmonton to ruin the Oilers? Get real. Like, there's so much going on here that reeks of ownership. This doesn't have anything to do anymore with whether or not you thought Kyle was the right guy or the wrong guy. They wanted him right up until the last second. They fucked around and found out, and now you don't have him. We need to be talking about Brendan Shanahan. We need to be talking about... Pretty clearly Edward Rogers, because it's well reported that he was the one fucking around with Masai Ujiri last time we did this. And we need to be talking about the relationship between Bell and Rogers and, uh, and Larry Tannenbaum. Because by all accounts, this is a Rogers thing. They were the ones who pumped the brakes here. And look, I'm not saying Rogers is a better or worse company than Bell. They both suck. But in this case, when they're fucking with your hockey team, it's worth noting who's the one who dropped the football here. But I would love it if before you ventured into our feedback emails or my Twitter replies, if you could, if you could kindly get a grip on reality and what we're actually talking about, just because we're talking about the Kyle Dubas situation Doesn't necessarily mean we're talking about whether or not Kyle Dubas was the best guy for the job or not. We might be talking about how the ownership handled the Kyle Dubas situation. I get it. Most people on Twitter can read. Reading comprehension. Still a little bit of a lost art for a lot of people. What is it that these words in front of me that I recognize actually mean when strung together in this order? Please get a handle on that before coming at me again. You need, need to just start being way more liberal with the block button. Whew. Lots of names floating around out there now. The main one seems to be Brad Treliving. If you want to talk about uh, teams that are pretty happy this mess is going on in Toronto right now, it's probably the Calgary Flames because they look like a fucking joke right now. Their GM decided to leave because Flames' ownership refused to pay the money it was going to require to fire Daryl Sutter and then bring in someone else. And so that's essentially what broke down the relationship between Brad Living and the Flames' ownership. And about three weeks after they announced that Brad Treliving is out as their general manager, they turned around and fired Daryl Sutter anyway. That's a bit of a gong show too. So they're happy to have the Leafs out front taking the punches right now. But Brad Living is, uh, by all accounts, one of the frontrunners. Because Shanahan said at his press conference on Friday, he values, I guess, experience more than competence. It's a fascinating stance to take. I don't think Brad Living would be a bad choice, but there's nothing overly exciting about him. Like that doesn't get me wound up. That doesn't get me thinking, okay, we're going to be right on the right path here. Like he's some sort of brilliant thinker or whatever. I think he'd be fine. Not bad, but not great. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but Brad Truliving's father is Jim Living who uh, started the, uh, and owns the, the Boston Pizza Corporation, which is what this sort of feels like, right? I don't know. It won't be bad. It's not going to be great. I guess he'd be fine. It's kind of like going to Boston Pizza when you're kicking around dinner <laughs> options. The problem that you run into here, like a lot of people are talking about Doug Armstrong out of St. Louis. Well, he has a contract. Is it possible that he's got a relationship with ownership there where he could say, look, this is my dream job. I'd really like to go do that and get out of his contract. I guess it's possible. But he has autonomy there. Like, he's running that shit. How many really good, experienced guys are prepared to come in right now to Toronto and do what Dubas just did, which is report to Brendan Shanahan? If you are a top guy, if you are a like top-end, cream-of-the-crop, general manager-slash-president of another organization, are you coming in and allowing Brendan Shanahan to veto and tweak your decisions when he is, comparatively speaking, far less experienced than you? That doesn't excite me very much. So Brendan Shanahan here claims he wants an experienced guy but he's going to have to be a pretty weak-willed one to come in and not have the final choice. Like, there's nothing to me, when everyone talks about Doug Armstrong and everything going on and whether he could get out of St. Louis, why would he bother? Yes, it's the Leafs, but you're not running that show. You're answering to someone who's got way less experience than you. So I'm not that excited about that. If someone at the ownership level called and said, hey, if we fired Brendan Shanahan, would you come in? We could talk about that, but there's no evidence whatsoever that that's on the table. So you're looking for someone with experience who doesn't mind, you know, sort of being the low man on the totem pole. Well, maybe Brad Truliving is your guy. He's worked for Brian Burke when Burkey was the, uh, the president of hockey ops out there in, uh, in Calgary. So maybe Truliving's okay with that, but it just seems like you've really limited yourself here. He didn't say it 1000% must be someone with experience. So maybe you do give it to Brendan Pridham, right? Maybe you are willing to talk to Eric Tolsky, But whoever it is is going to have to be willing to answer to Brendan Shanahan. And everyone has a boss. Like, it's one thing to answer to ownership, but there's a middleman between you and ownership. So maybe one of these newer, lower guys would be willing to do it. Or you're looking for an experienced guy, like he said, but who isn't experienced enough or high-profile enough or successful enough to demand the... uh, You know, the head of the table, the top of the pyramid. I don't know. That's a small group and not really an impressive one. And Chris Johnston reported on Monday afternoon on his podcast that from what he's told, Brendan Shanahan has already called all of the top players, did so on Friday before the Dubas news broke, and told them it was his intention to bring them back. Now, again, I don't know that that's carved in stone, But is that something that came between him and Dubas? Dubas said nothing's off the table. If we have to trade one of them, we'll trade one of them. And Shani's telling them, no, you'll be back. Well, this guy's already telling future general managers how to do their job. You can come in, but you can't touch these guys? Well, it might be time. So there's a lot going on there. Like To me, that's a really confusing thing to say to your top guys. Somebody might have to be held accountable. None of this even touches on the Austin Matthews thing. Whether or not he wants to stay or go more or less now because Dubas is in or out. Uh, This is... It's not unfixable. It's not destroyed. But they're reeling. They're in a bad spot with not a lot of time to get it Right? I have no idea why Brendan Shanahan, like it makes sense to me. You call your leadership group, you call your top guys and tell them we're firing the general manager. I get why you make that call, but why do you include in it that your intention is to bring them back? That's up to your new general manager. Unless it isn't, in which case, you don't want that out there before you hire that guy. You've already told him, I'm actually the one calling the shots here. Well, fuck that. I'll just stay where I am then. <laughs> I've actually probably gone on far too long about this, right? Said covered most of it on Friday and we don't need to get too deep into it again. And here we are pretty deep into it again. But, you know, as as the days go by and you process this more and more and how this has played out. And the state they find themselves in now, it's it's not good. So we'll see what happens from here. Anything big happens this week will, of course, come back. Plus, on Thursday morning, as I said, I believe Lever Sage is going to be here on the podcast. We'll get into this with him. We'll talk a little baseball as well. Whatever else is topical at the time. Maybe the Stanley Cup playoffs. Whatever's happening there. I don't know how many of you are, are fully engaged in these uh, Southern series. But uh, four overtime games to start. That's never happened before. Two in the East, two in the West to start a conference final. This is the first time that's ever happened. So, in terms of these series being competitive and entertaining... There's something there, but it just hasn't grabbed me. None of these teams are really grabbing me. So we'll see though, as we inch closer and closer to the cup, I'm sure I end up jumping back in at that point. We'll wind this one down here. I really appreciate you guys checking out the podcast. Always love talking to you. Like I said, if you want to talk back, you got stuff to tell me that has a brainwave to it, that has a pulse to it. Hit us up at talk Audio on uh, on social media. My name is Matt Robinson. That is episode 1,119 of Talking Audio. We'll see you all next time. That's it. I cannot work under these conditions. If anybody wants me, I'll be downstairs at McDougal. Call the weekend guy. I don't care.